good time of the day and welcome to another episode of And When I Say I Mean, I am your co-host Austin. And I am your other co-host Adrian. So we were reunited this week, but this is not a reunion episode. Uh, Yeah. I was at your house yesterday and then I drove for six hours and slept for five. And I thought, huh, maybe I can nap while you're taking forever doing whatever you're doing before we record this. And then I said, oh, wait, I have to build my bed first. So that kind of uh, soiled my plans. Uh, so how long did it take to build your bed? Not that long, like an hour. But I guess you couldn't sleep in it because it wasn't built. Right, R- right. And then at at that point, I was being optimistic, like, oh, Adrian will be here soon. No. No. Dashed sadly. optimism. Not not the case. Um, anything else exciting happened this week before we jump into why we were reunited? Uh oh. Well, that I mean, that was that was kind of the the biggest thing. Um. I think I went square dancing since the last time I've been on this podcast. Okay. Um, okay, so that's true then. Yeah, I went square dancing Saturday. Um, it was fine. Uh, I, I, I tell people that it is much more like marching band than you think it is. It's true. Um, and I, like I'm pretty good at marching band, so mm-hmm. like square dancing is not very hard. Um, like. <laughs> It, like just everything's basically uh an eight like an eight step move um so you just need to be on the beat though the music that whoever was choosing the music it had very strange taste in music for square dancing <laughs> we started so i don't know how familiar you are with uh the the famous producer slash pop artist pharrell um uh, Pharrell Williams? Yeah. Yeah. So he likes to start a lot of his songs with just like a four note just like bump 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 bump. Uh so that's how you know it's a Pharrell produced track. So that happens okay. and I'm like wait, what song are we about to listen to? <laughs> and then this weird like like karaoke kind of version of Blurred Lines comes on oh and I'm like this is the this is the worst decision that I've ever experienced for square dancing. I've not I've not experienced a lot of bad decisions for square dancing, but this is the worst one. Fair, fair. Um, so I did that Saturday. Um, yeah. Nice. I, was, I slept for five hours today. Yeah, I don't I don't think I can I don't think I can top the square dancing to be honest. <laughs> oh, victory. I went to I went to the um the fair today, the Deerfield Fair. Wow. Yeah. Um it was a very different experience than what I'm used to at the E Town Fair. Not, not so very were there no milkshakes? What? Were there no milkshakes? There were no milkshakes. Speaking of milkshakes, I'm gonna interject here. So if you remember this, the Five Guys saga that's been ongoing for <laughs> yeah, some yeah. time now, uh, today at 7 o'clock as I was leaving Clarkson, Five Guys, there was finally an open parking spot. So I said, "Wow, I'm, I'm going to park right there and get into Five Guys. Uh, so I tried to order a, a little bacon cheeseburger. That did not happen. I got like a – somehow – I didn't know you could get two patties. At Five Guys, but I had, I had a sandwich with two patties. Just the regular burgers have two patties. Oh, okay. I got one of those with bacon and cheese on it, mm-hmm. um, and, and a peanut butter milkshake. So, I have many thoughts about this peanut butter milkshake. You, okay. Do you know that the the Bowling for Votes episode of Parks and Recreation? Yes. Where the woman says, "I feel like she she's really short." Like, aggressively short. Like, she's shoving it in my face. That's how I felt about this milkshake. <laughs> it was aggressively peanut butter? It was aggressively peanut butter. Like, it it wasn't even so much peanut butter as just peanuts. Yeah. Like, it tasted like a peanut milkshake. And okay. 
I I I w- I wanted it to be creamier, I guess. It tasted too much like real nuts. Mm. So how it, how terrible. I know. So if if you want that, uh go to Five Guys. If you want fake peanut butter taste, don't. But the Fair. burger was great. So anyway, that's my review for peanut butter milkshakes at Five Guys. Yeah. So back to my fair experience today. Um, there was no milkshakes, um, which the reason you go to the E-Town Fair is to go yep. stand in line for a milkshake. Yeah, and, and see the apologetics. And see the apologetics. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, so true, though. Um, we, I'm, I'm just remembering talking about Lord of the Rings cards Lord of the Rings Philip cards. Hess. Yep, like, what, why? <laughs> that was our life. That why did that life. happen? Why did go, he know what he was talking about? I don't know. We also, Kyle also had, like, a drawing that he had, like, entered into a competition or yeah. something one year. But anyways, um, <laughs> so so it was, it was different in that way. There's definitely animals. They do, instead of, like... I don't really know what all kind of like rodeo stuff they do in at the E-Town Fair. So is it more like did, the farm show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did like dressage, you know, very fancy. Horse dancing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they definitely, I mean, it was the same. You still could go walk around and see all the animals and stuff. You could see that. Lots of food. So it was like food. the New England version of the farm show. Right, right. <laughs> um... And what was I going to say? Oh, um, they don't have funnel cakes in New England, or they, they don't have as much. They have fried dough. I respect that. Which is essentially a funnel cake, but different. Um, is it better than a funnel cake? I think it's better than a funnel cake. What's nice about the fried dough, at least in, in some places I've had it, where you can get toppings on it, so you can mm-hmm. get like peanut butter and jelly or like fruit, like strawberries or something on it. That sounds good. And that 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 makes it much better. Um, what else did I have? I had a giant like homemade sausage and peppers and onion sandwich. It was amazing. That does sound good. I had something called a buffalo chicken tater keg, which is basically <laughs> a tater tot with buffalo chicken dip and fried on the outside okay, and put on yeah. a stick. It yeah, was pretty that. amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I went and got... Uh, so when I was waiting for... I I couldn't believe it when this happened to me. I'm waiting in line to get my buffalo chicken tater kegs. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were cooking. And so they're like, it's going to take a little bit. And then I said, okay, can I pay a while? And they looked at wow. me... And they were like, "What? What did you say?" Oh, okay. I, said, I thought they said that. No, no, no. I said, "Yeah." I said, "Can I pay a while?" And then I realized in that moment, I was like, "Wow, I am from Lancaster County. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't tisk, escape tisk. it." Yeah, but um, another another thing that happened this week, um, some of our faithful listeners are members of our youth group, and so your youth the, group, yeah, my youth group, and. Um, they showed me some of the fan-made content. Um, so one, of, the first one being of this a, podcast. Oh yeah, the first one. <laughs> well, well, kind of just the first one is is just about me. It's just a GIF of of my picture, my LinkedIn profile picture, but it's just like that infinitely one, spinning. Is that that one from the wedding you were a usher in? No. It it was one I got like taken at the career fair, so I'm oh, like, okay. in a suit and it's like a gray backdrop. But it's just like an a infinite gif of me like popping up out of the back and like spinning out of the front of the frame. Um Okay. And then the second one was where they took the one of our episodes and just cut it down to all the times that we say um and ah and just played that. Nice. Um it was it was pretty great. It was pretty great. We apparently say um and ah a lot, which I attribute to the fact that we're just saying everything off the top of our head. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, for example, just right there. Right. 
The thing so, about yeah. youth culture is, I don't understand it. That's good. This we is a Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec yeah, this is a Parks and Rec heavy episode. So, catch up, folks, if you haven't already. <laughs> so, so why were you visiting me yesterday, Austin? I was visiting you because we were going to the incredibly, an absolutely remarkable thing, book launch tour. Uh, because we are very cool. Um, <laughs> as we found out, <laughs> what is an absolutely incredible thing? An absolutely remarkable thing is a book that just came out two days ago by uh, Hank Green, who is one half of the Vlog Brothers. Um, who, if you've been following this podcast at all, hopefully you've heard them mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where I, that's what I was there for. We took a train. We ate at Quincy Market or whatever that place is called. Central yep. Market. No, Central well, Market's the one in Lancaster. It's Quincy Market. Quincy Market and McDonald's, which was well, – that was a bummer. Uh, I wanted to be at the fanciest coffee shop I've ever been to, mm-hmm. uh, but there was a bouncer-ish there. So Question mark, yeah. Yeah, that seemed like – yeah. Seemed like not the right place to be. All the other coffee shops were closed, so that was kind our, of our confidence level on how cool we were was pretty high, but yeah. not high enough to get us into the fancy right. coffee shop. Right. Yeah. So I have not read my copy yet. Um, I haven't either, but I have some like I, I'm going to be flying a lot this weekend, so I have, nice. I have some flights. Where are you to, flying? I'm going to a wedding. Oh. In in Ohio. Oh yeah, you told me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we were doing and that's why we were reunited but only briefly because I am not that cool to just blow off my responsibilities it, I was I was very it was kind of frustrating Wednesday as I'm driving down I get emails from my like supervisors down in Maryland and it's like hey can you send me this stuff that's in your lab on a CD and it, that's where it is, but they didn't they didn't know that. Right. Um, so I was like, I was thinking about just blowing off today. Uh, hopefully, none of my supervisors listen to this podcast. I would be very shocked if they do. Um, but then I was like, I've got to respond to these emails and like set up meetings and stuff. And it's like way too much Fine. regular work stuff that Mm -hmm. needed to be done today so that's why i had to wake up at six and drive six hours yeah it's pretty rough so that this that's why this is not a reunion episode um right because i had things to do (laughs) right right also we've never actually done a live recording or while we're in the same setting we i guess we have live recording no we we have done a reunion episode but we were all in different rooms recording. The one with Zach. I wasn't with Zach. home though. No, you were definitely home. No, we were all home. Cause it was right before we went on vacation. I was not home. I no. was here. Where were and we? You, you and Zach were home, but in different rooms. I was here, and we met. I met you in New York when we were camping or in the cabin. No way. Truth. Because we did it that morning, and I had to edit the episodes and put get them all online before oh, yeah. we left. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, you're right, you're right. And then I left. So we have never done a you and I in the same place together in a reunion episode. That's <laughs> neither here nor there right now. Um, but, yeah, so basically, I don't, I don't know how we want to kind of jump into this. Let's just introduce the topic. We okay. thought a lot about relationships between people and people who make things slash like what is it what like what is it like to be a fan and what is it like to have fans so so in the context of our event last night so the vlog brothers basically have been creating vlogs every at least once a week both of them have been creating a vlog once a week for the past 10 years um 
and posting them on YouTube and basically telling a story of their lives. And so basically at that point, you have revealed a lot of your life mm-hmm. to a large base of people. And so now this group of people knows about you, but you know very little to nothing about the people who know a lot about you. And are like very invested in you. Like part of their identity involves you, which is just, that's like a weird thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we were wondering and actively discussing on the train on the way to the show, like, is this weird for them? Like, does it feel weird for them to be, to have this relationship, whatever that looks like? Um, and so then how does that affect my relationship to them when I go and read a book about mm-hmm. that they have read? And how does it affect them and their relationship to me and how we interact now that I have come somewhat face-to-face with them? Yeah, so like, like what you were saying about uh, – so I really liked what Hank said about at the show. He The, the passage he read from a – Incredibly, an absolutely absolutely remarkable remarkable thing. thing. We need to remember the name of this book. We do. Um, It's it's like a long title. Yeah, it's so the book is really about like what do you do with viral fame and like what does that mean for you as a person, Mm. which he's he's pretty uniquely qualified to talk about. Right. As a beneficiary of viral fame and then trying to capitalize on it for ten years. So. Uh, the passage that he read was saying, okay, I've done this thing. What if that's the only thing that I'm known for forever? Like, what if just this one thing I peaked and then that is what everyone knows me for forever? Um, and then he closed it by saying, like, or, like, he closed that part of it saying, like, I know you guys know me. And I'm glad you guys are buying this book. And I know that I have fans that will read a book just because I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he was contrasting that with a series of books that he read as a growing up person um, called Red Mars, Blue Mars, and Purple Mars or something like that. Something where Mars, maybe. he said he knows nothing about the author, still knows nothing about the author, and just reads it, and how that uh, is is a very different experience um, now, and how creative people is the phrase he used uh, in general. Not only now are they creating whatever they're creating, they also have to curate their own personalities. They don't have to, but that's just like the expectation that you also mm-hmm. curate who you are. Um, so, like, authors no longer, like, you, authors don't, like, exist in a vacuum anymore. Like, it was so, when he said that, it reminded me of, uh, you've probably not read Slaughterhouse-Five, right? I have not. Okay, so, in Slaughterhouse-Five, the main character reads these sci-fi books, Mm-hmm. And he feels like he's the only person who likes them. And then he finally meets the author, and it was a weird thing for him to meet the author because he he never thought he would or, like, that wasn't his expectation mm-hmm. uh, for it. But I feel like that is the expectation now. Right, and I think it's almost... It, it, diff- it's different in some ways. or even, I think it's even more different with Hank and John to some extent. Yeah. Because we talked a little bit about, like, meeting one of our other favorite authors, Brandon Sanderson, and yep. how when I meet Brandon Sanderson, I'm not really thinking about at, talking to him about anything besides his books and the world that he has built. And so he still is very confined to his world that he has created, um, even though it is still a slightly different experience actually meeting him and seeing what, how he acts and, and what he's like. Right. Um, but with Hank and John there it, there's it's completely different i watch a mm-hmm. video of, of them talking about their ideas every single week mm-hmm. um and so like i know more about who they are and how they think than just the nature of their books right and and it's interesting it was also interesting too hank said 
when he was talking, he's like, you're probably going to read this and it's going to sound like a Vogue Brothers script at points. And like, which is very fitting because I think even when I was talking about Paper Towns, which I read of John's book on the podcast here, I even said like it sounded like there were times where I was like, oh, wow, this is obviously John Green talking or like I can hear John Green coming through. And so that was another thing that Hank was kind of talking about is like, how do you read a book? Do you read a book listening to the author kind of tell the story or do you try to get rid of that and like read the book for what it is and ignore the author. I, mm-hmm. I guess, what do you, what do you think about that? Austin? Do you think that, right. Do you think that we should? So, so we're both going to read an absolutely remarkable thing. Yep. Do you think that we should try to divorce it from Hank and who we know of Hank? Is it possible? Should we try or should we, is, are we, yeah, I don't know. Do how, what do you think? Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we should, uh, but I don't think we should not view it critically because of that. Like, like I am very judgmental when it comes to books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not like E. e I like Hank, uh, but I'm not going to spare him my book judgmentalness, right? Because I like him, and that's like if he. If he doesn't, if he can't write a good book, to me that's like, okay, he can't write a good book, but I like other things he does, so that right. matters less to me. Right. Um, so it's very different. It's much more like a. I get like. I I don't consider myself to be friends with Hank, mm-hmm. because that would be weird. Um, and like, yeah, that would be weird. But me reading his book is much more like me reading a friend's book yep. than other books because it's not going to – like because I have such a wider um, conception of who he is, I'm not going to judge him as much from this book. Right. Uh, so like, um, like lots of dead people. Sometimes I'll, like, read their books and be like, I want to hang out with this person. Sometimes I'm like, this person has lots of great ideas, but I wouldn't want to hang out with them. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, I just wouldn't want to hang out with this person. So for dead people especially, or, like, like hipstery writers right now, like, you don't know a lot about them other than their works. So mm-hmm. I'm still going to judge them harshly, but like I'm going to draw more conclusions about the author from the book than I am from Hank's book because I already know things about Hank. Right. And I was I was just thinking about how like the if you would have asked me a year ago whether I would ever read anything that John Green has ever written, I would say absolutely not. Like, there's not a Mm -hmm. chance. But then when I realized that John Green was more than just his young adult novels, right? like, my my mindset about him completely changed. I'm still conflicted about that. Like, I still have not read anything that he's written. But, like, every word that comes from his mouth, I'm just like, this is gold. Right. And and it is – and I'm I'm guessing – with other, with I read Paper Towns, which probably is going to be the one if I read all of his books, the ones I the one I enjoy most. I don't know, maybe that's stereotyping, but um, I feel like that's going to come across no matter what. You're going to get there. You're going to read it and be if you ever end up reading any of them, mm-hmm. and you're going to be like, well, this this is John Green, but it may at least how I felt after Paper Towns is like. It would have been better if he just would have done it in a different context. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but that's probably just my bias of of how I receive his information best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it. So taking drawing from that, it makes me wonder: like, am I missing out on reading reading books? And taking things away from them because I am judging the author based on 
the type of thing that they write or just just what they write um and so like are there other young adult novels that I'd never think to read or any type of novel that I'd never think to read but if I knew more about the author and, and knew more about what they understood what they believed and how they thought and all these things and then even if I read the book and I say well I don't really like the 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 frame of this book but the idea behind it is still good mm-hmm. um so in some ways in some ways it it is better to know the author more um yeah but because, so, so but I still think it's a it's a different beast though cuz like yep. I love reading author interviews or reading prefaces right because that's that's the old way that author mediates our expectations for a book mm-hmm. um and so like i was just telling you about my favorite back of a book ever i have a favorite preface ever which mm-hmm. is actually dead souls by nicola gogel nice um and, and so and like i love reading author interviews because they're saying this is what i'm trying in this book so mm-hmm. that, that 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 helps you judge it um right. Uh, or like, I think it's a helpful way to to modulate your expectations afterwards. Cause like, I like to go into books. I'm more of the old school, uh, shockingly. So I like to go into books pretty blind. Um, and then if I like it, I'm like, oh, what can I find out about this right. this author? Cause like, um, Mikhail Shishkin, I read his book Maiden Hair. No, actually, I read his short story, Calligraphy Lessons, and I was like, this is great. Let's find out about this guy. So now I know that he's an interpreter in Switzerland. And so then when I read Maidenhair, where part of it's an interpreter in Switzerland judging, like, immigrants coming into the the country, I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is different because, like, I don't know who – Mikhail Shishkin is married to. I don't know if he is married. I don't know. I think he is married and has a kid, actually. But that's not that's not the point. Like, I don't know what he thinks about handprints in a sidewalk from 1912. But I do know that about Hank. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, I, I know so much more about Hank than I do any other author. Right. In in some ways, I think it will it will end up taking away from the fact that it's a book. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be times where it's like, okay, yeah, I, for instance, like when I was reading the book Paper Towns, I was imagining John Green reading me right. the book, mm-hmm. and like that itself completely turns around the whole point of the book because the mm-hmm. book isn't about John Green it's right. just written by him and so like and i think he would agree probably that it's not it's not about him and even really his idea it is about his ideas i guess but it's it's about telling it's about talking about a topic through a story right um, so, and so i think it does take away when you have when you have that knowledge of who the person is. Yeah, I was just I was thinking about like when I get texts from people I know really well, like I hear them reading the text. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I I know how they are saying this text because I know them well enough that even if you don't have emojis or whatever, right. I know what I know how you're saying it because I know that person. So I feel like reading this book I'm going to hear Hank saying mm-hmm. it because I know how Hank says things. Right. Um, which is completely different than like any other reading experience I've ever had. Um, but so what, it, what I think it, it really is, is like, what's, the, how do you view art essentially? Or it's like, what's the role of the artist in right. art? Um, and for an incredibly remarkable thing, it's so much more artist-centric to me because I am much more close to the artist than mm-hmm. I am to the art. Mm-hmm. Um, but that relationship is, like, backwards 
or yeah, that's like the opposite of almost every other relationship. So like, like reading things and then it's like, Oh, this person is saying terrible things way after they wrote this book. So people are like, Oh, how does this affect how we view these things in retrospect? But now it's like the opposite. It's like, but Hank doesn't say a bunch of terrible things. It's like, oh, I like things that Hank says. So now I'm projecting that forward onto what he's written. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's weird. It, it It's an interesting thing because I think so often, when especially when we read books and even when we look at pieces of art or listen to music, mm-hmm. there's so much of your own interpretation yeah. that goes on. And... And now I feel like when I will read this book, there's going to be very little of my own interpretation because I yeah. I, I think there's going to be very little times where I'm not sure what the author means right. or where I'm stuck and I need to figure out what is the author trying to say here. To, and I, I really struggle to, to know if that's better or not. I have no idea mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because in some ways it's like I want to know what the author means. I hate all of these random speculations about the green light and the eyes and everything and the great Gatsby because who knows if Fitzgerald even cared about any of that stuff. Uh, or he he probably did. But right, but like okay, those are the obvious ones, but there are so right. many other there so are so many I other read, smaller things. Let me interject this one. I just read a a very bizarre theory about the great Gatsby that Gatsby is secretly a very light-skinned, mixed-race man. Uh, <laughs> so, that is that intentional? Maybe. I, and I so, think that's, that's, that's more what you mean, I think. Than right. The, there, there are small things. I, I felt it in my lit classes in high school where it's like we're dissecting every little thing of this story and saying this is symbolism and it points to something. And and part of me is like, I hate that because I don't think that the author intended it to be like every little thing is, right. is supposed to be pulled apart and pointed to something. And so by knowing the author, I can look and I can look at this mm-hmm. book and read it and be like, okay, this is a throwaway comment by John or Hank because he's, he just thinks this is funny or like this is some kind of something but i and i can know when this is supposed to be symbolic and this is like the deep meaning here because i yeah, have this but, understanding of the author so then like you you ask the question so that the the type of literature class that almost everyone has is very steeped in new criticism which is a a formalist movement from like the 1960s mm-hmm. um started by the the fugitive poets of vanderbilt anyway None of that's very important. But so that school of criticism is uh, formalist. So it, you're absolutely looking at, okay, what does this word mean? Well, how does it fit next to this word? How does it fit next to this word? Um, and so close reading is that kind of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like because I know Hank-ish, I don't have the expectation that the work can transcend Hank. Like, to me, Hank is a much bigger person than, like, my mental model of Hank is better than it is for the most other people that I interact with. So, Mm -hmm. I, to me, the work is less of what Hank, what I know of Hank to be then like I get more of a person from their works normally because I very know very little about their person, but that's not the way it is for Hank. So I feel like I don't think that this work can transcend its artist because I know so much about the artist, which is like a classic that like, does authorial intent matter? Right. That's, that's the main debate, right? If you, if the artist, like if art can transcend the artist or if 
what you build up from a work is more important to your understanding of the work. What does it matter what the author says? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I feel like yeah. I'm never going to come to that conclusion with a incredibly remarkable thing. Absolutely remarkable thing. An absolutely remarkable thing because I I know so much more about Hank. Right. Right. And so and so yeah. So the the work will never end up being greater than the person. Right. Because the person is already greater than the book could ever be. Right. Like uh, I said, you were talking about watching every video on Hank's channel, and I said. I feel like Hank just goes on Hank's channel to vent when he needs to. And then they asked him, one of the questions was, what do you do when you're stressed? And John's just like, I take a bath, which was like the funniest part of that entire thing. <laughs> um, but Hank's, and then he, Hank, he, Hank's like, I do uh, other creative things. And John's like, like, post a video on Hank's channel every day for the last six months. And I was like, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, like, I have that I have that relationship with no other author. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think of a so another great debate in literature is how much of yourself do you put into your work? Um so like this book is about a girl finding robots showing up around the world. So superficially, that has nothing to do with Hank, but because I know it's about what it means to be a viral star, I'm like, oh, of course this is about Hank's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's so that's because I know things about Hank. But he's still putting himself into the work. So how much you put yourself into a work? Should you? Because lots of people say you shouldn't at all. Um, because if you do, it's very conflicting. Like lots of. People say write what you know, but they also say don't write about your own experience because that's lazy and real authors don't do that. Um, but that reminds me of one of the most fun articles I've read this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about Taylor Swift and talking – the NPR is doing a series on uh, women and non-binary artists um, affecting music culture so it was about taylor swift this week and they're saying taylor swift is really successful but she's unique in the pop landscape by being herself uh like they were saying there's always like a line or something in a song where you're like oh this song is definitely about taylor swift it's not about me um and they have some examples, but I'm not familiar enough with them to be able to say what they are. Um, we'll have links in the description. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that that comes from her country background, uh, where you infuse yourself a lot more into songs like Shout Out to Kelly and Holly. If they listen to this podcast, that Thomas Rhett song about Marry Some Other Person. Um, <laughs> that's not um, the name of the song, but that's like, it's about him and his wife. Um, or, um, who's his name? That sounds like Macklemore who wrote about meeting somebody at church or something. I don't know. Or Kelly, like, Kelly uh, told us about Ben him. Rector. Ben Rector. Yeah. And old friends. Mm hmm. Especially. Uh, so that was like okay that's normal but then they also said she mixes that with the uh ethos of a hip-hop artist which i was like okay article (laughs) show me what you got and it did not disappoint so they talk about her beefing with people all the time uh she presents herself as like the underdog surrounded by haters uh and i was like okay yeah i like this so anyway so that got me thinking about like my relationship with Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. because his his work is very personal and like I don't know what his I don't know what his career would be like if he wasn't talking about him growing up right. or him trying to deal with fame you know you know so like I don't I don't think 
you shouldn't write about your own life or you should write about your own life like your own life is going to s- do whatever you want is that's how i like if you're good it's going to be good um right i don't so so you're saying you're saying you shouldn't eat lean from one side or the other just do whatever yeah, you don't worry about it yeah <laughs> like if you can write a great story about um astronauts being lost on the moon um i don't know what story i'm thinking of in particular it sounds kind of close to the martian but yeah on the moon. yeah anyway if you can write a great story about that I hope that's not anything related to what you've experienced in your life. Mm-hmm. Write that great story. If you can write a great story about how you grew up in the streets of Compton, write that. I'd listen to it. I already have. Do you do you can you give me an example I guess of well, I guess I guess my question is is it possible to write something that's not to some extent about your life or about yourself? I don't think so. But you can intentionally try to remove your life from it. Yeah. Because I think that you're – well, because obviously your biases and how you view the world is going to come through what you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think – I don't know. I, to me, I would say lean towards more – lean more towards writing about yourself. I, I think I think that's more compelling um, that is definitely the ethic of right now. Um, because because I think to some extent it's and it's not not necessarily right about yourself because you're because of individual truth or anything, but I think that you should write about your own life because people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that we're we are different, but we're not that different. Um, and even if, so for instance, um, I, I don't, I don't know, but even lots of artists, Ben Rector for, okay, here we go. Ben Rector, you referenced Ben Rector's song. I did. Old friends. He's very specifically talking about his life and his old friends. Yeah. But it is, it's hits so close to home for me because he's just writing about life and, I'm able to, you know, connect how my life is very similar to that. And even to the extent of, like, maybe even Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar. My life is nothing like theirs. But it's that doesn't mean it's not possible for me to draw connections between my life and theirs mm-hmm. and gain gain understanding about the world from their life and their perspective. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that... Um, there is there is validity and greatness to be had in in somehow removing yourself from what you're writing and and what you're producing but i also think that like you don't have to and that there can still be greatness to be had in in telling a compelling story or singing a song that also is drawing things from your life because because that makes it more compelling mm-hmm. i th- i think is is an important thing like the reason that this book sounds interesting to me and what my favorite part about the evening last night mm-hmm. was because hank and john are looking at their own lives and looking at it critically and saying okay hey I I thought that the internet was flawless and I am thankful for it because mm-hmm. it made me who I am today and allowed me to be myself in this space or whatever. But now I'm thinking back on that and I'm saying is that good? Is is has it always been good or are there things that are bad that has become of has has happened because of it? And so like I I feel like if there's not really anybody else I would want to read this book by Mm-hmm. than Hank Green because I feel like he is at a spot where A, I respect what he says and B, I know he's thinking critically about not only his life but how that affects other people and is telling mm-hmm. it through mm-hmm. this story. Uh, so I I think of it kind of as like method acting, right? So like 
the the old paradigm for right not the old paradigm for writing but a lot of like it oh, yeah older writing advice is just like embody whatever character you're making up and make them come alive lots of r- good authors were actually really bad at that um or like the, like there's still personal things in everything mm-hmm. uh like tolstoy almost always has a tolstoy character in his books um so like there's a quote from that famous actor that's kind of like Lawrence of Arabia, but it's not. I don't know. He plays Richard the Third famously. Anyway, um, Lawrence of Olivier. Anyway. I only know that from Harry Potter. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he is talking to some method actor mm-hmm. that they're on set with. And he's like, oh, I've been up for three days to play a character who's been up for three days. And this guy, who is a classical actor, is just like, why don't you just act? So, like, I I feel like writing now leans towards, like, method acting. Like, you have to live something Mm -hmm. to write about it. Which is good, because you can, like, it's easier to get those authentic or it's more authentic, right? So right. authenticity is, is remarkably highly valued um, right now. Um, whereas the expectation used to be like artists or like authors embody whatever perspective they're writing from, which is like is kind of a impossible thing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think we're we're tilted more as a culture to write about things that have happened to you, but don't make it exactly about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, right? But speaking of F. Scott Fitzgerald, he said an actor is very is very similar to um, his experience as an author. How does he know that? He doesn't. Uh, he okay. hung out with a lot of actors. He, he was a famous guy in the 20s. That's fair. So, Anything that's else? about all I have to say. Yeah. It was fun. Go check out this tour. I think it's sold out, so you probably I, I, missed it. Maybe some of the later shows aren't sold, sold out. But. but check out this book. I think it's going to be good. Cause, uh, Based on what they said and how, like, engaging with the life of the internet mm-hmm. and especially them being there for the whole thing, basically. Right. Um, right. It, yeah, and being a part of it, being ambassadors for it, and then, like, feeling betrayed by the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also saying, like, it's not just the internet. We're all responsible for whatever happens on the internet because we make it up. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be good. Yeah. Hopefully next week. I mean, I'm not going to make any promises, but I might read it this weekend. That and is so a bold promise from Adrian. That, that's very bold. <laughs> but if it's ever going to happen in a weekend, it might be this one. So Why? Again, I'm going to be on an airplane for a while, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting that. Yep, that's okay. Yep. But, yeah. Any recommendations for us, Austin? Yes, so I was driving a lot this past two days. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the way to Adrian's place, I said, I'm going to download a lot of music that I've been like, huh, I should listen to this, but I haven't had a six-hour straight car drive to listen to it. So the best of the albums that I listened to was The Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill. Um, it's really, so it came out in 1998, and I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, okay, 
everything makes more sense now. Like this, so I there's a blurb for a some copy of Pride and Prejudice that I've seen that says Pride and Prejudice is the Rosetta Stone of literature, which I don't think is true, but it's not the Rosetta Stone. But when I read Pride and Prejudice, I read it and I was like, oh, hey, this is what everyone's trying to do. Okay, I get this. I Like, that makes sense. Uh, so that's how I felt listening to this this album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Like, she does gospel samples before Kanye is Kanye. Um, she has skits that tell a story throughout an entire album before Kendrick was Kendrick. Um, she's having babies and a career before Cardi B is doing that. Um, so, if you're looking for, like, this is where a lot of modern pop culture comes from and it's also better than lots of modern pop culture check it out um and then speaking of pride and prejudice i hope you guys are ready for what i assume you've been waiting this entire podcast for which is austin's definitive rankings of the the trinity of english romance books written by women uh I was. <laughs> yeah, you were. Uh, Jane Eyre by Sh- 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 Bronte. Emily. Uh, Wuthering, Wuthering, Wuthering Heights Wither. by Charlotte Bronte. And Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. So, because I, I, I didn't listen what to Pride and Prejudice on the way back. That was just, those are the three titles. Oh, I'm okay. going to rank them after I, I talk about them. So. Oh, okay. I listened to Wuthering Heights the entire the entirety of it today. Wow! Because um, I had a long car drive, uh, and then it's it's fourteen hours long, so I had like I had an hour left. And I listened to it at double speed. Obviously. So, um, so it was very strange. It was it was very different than I expected it to be. Um, I had read things talked about like it's like two people loving each other passionately but never being able to like be together so then it just destroys the lives of everyone around them. That's exactly how this book is. Um so it is very different than Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre. So for whatever reason these three books are linked together. So Austin's definitive ranking Granted, I have read Jane Eyre much less recently than the other two, but Jane Eyre, number three, Wuthering Heights, number two, and Pride and Prejudice is number one, because Pride and Prejudice is awesome. Um, but, so, like, this was good. It's not as good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's my recommendations. Well, that's great. I can't speak to any of the novels. I've only seen the newest version of Pride and Prejudice out of those three, so. The movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with Colin Firth. Really? So, what? Is he Darcy? I I am pretty sure. Really? I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure. I'm about to find out. Yep. So, my recommendations for this week are going to be vastly different than Austin's, but that's okay because we are completely different people. Yeah, uh, that, I would not um, be shocked again. No. So, my first my first recommendation is a YouTube channel called Gels Marble Races. J-E-L-L-E apostrophe S. Now, I don't know if this channel is just for children or if it's for everyone. Um, But it should be for everyone because this channel is amazing. Basically, what it is, is this guy... They just race marbles? He just races marbles. It's amazing. And he announces them 
Um, the best thing, though, is the Marble Olympics because they have different events, not only just racing, but lots of different events. Like regular marbles. No, 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 no. Like, like Olympic events, but like with marbles. So like the high jump or the long jump or um, he just – they had the Winter Olympics in 2018. So they did like hockey and – bobsled racing it's it's amazing and he's announcing everything that's going on and like there's all this like drama that happens where like people will like charge from the stands onto the arena (laughs) and like somebody got injured because the marble actually like broke in like one of these like heavy collision things what but everything is marbles Everything is marbles. It, it, it's literally just marbles on, like, tracks. But there's, like, so much drama, and he, like, builds it all up. It's fantastic. And this is it, good? I love it. I think, again, it might be for children, but I love it. Okay. Um, it, it reminds me of something that I would have done, like, yeah. growing up. Or, like, with our cousins is just, like, these ridiculous, like, series of races that you announce and make this whole big well, it's thing. Like, it's like Smarties football. Right, right. Or I was thinking of, like, the Kentucky Derby that we did at uh, oh, Bowens yeah. Creek. Yeah, that's right. So it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. So um, for, for the record, you have seen the Kiera Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice, which does not have Colin Forth. Firth. Colin Firth is in the old one that's he like six hours long. He is the six hours one, yeah. No, I'm not going to watch that one. And he is Mr. Darcy in that. Okay, who's Mr. Darcy in the Kira Knightley one? Uh, Matthew McFadden? I have no idea. No idea either. But that's okay. He yeah, was Mr. It, Darcy. When I said that, the age didn't really match up. Right, That I was thinking that. So that that's why I was very skeptical. It's too bad, though, because I'm sure Colin Firth makes a great Mr. Darcy. Yeah. So so that's your recommendation, Gels? Yeah. Also, Gels Marble Races. Uh, my, other, my second recommendation would be to at least... So I was challenged by Hank yesterday in just, like, how we use the Internet. Um, and he was he was thinking about it in the way of saying, like, Basically, he loves he loved the internet because it takes down all the barriers of of creativity and content creation, and so everybody can get out there. Um, but then he also was talking about how like a lot of times are you, you don't you don't need to tweet right away. You just if you sit there and think about it for a little bit, you don't need to end up sending a tweet or whatever. I don't really know because I don't tweet. But and so I think so. My recommendation is to like think more about what we're posting. Um, and so I'm kind of in the opposite court where I don't like to post things on social media. And I think that for some reason, some things, those are personal things where it's like, I, I feel like I can be only posting things to try to get likes or something like that. Um, and I think that's probably a personal issue that I should work out, but I don't, I think that I, on the other side, I'm using that as a barrier from using social media and the internet for positive things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was challenged to just kind of think about that. Like, why do I think these things about the internet and posting things on the internet? Is there a way that, you know the that we can use because i i come from this the perspective of that the internet and social media is more negative than mm-hmm. and not a very positive thing but i was challenged to think about it okay how can it be used for a positive thing so that would be my other recommendation just think about your social media and internet usage and consumption and maybe it's you think it's perfect and you don't look at the things that are bad, or maybe you're you think it's bad, and you don't look at the things that are good. But I, I think that was one thing that I'm taking away from last night is just how do we look at the internet and see it properly, but also don't give up on it and just write it mm-hmm. off and think that mm-hmm. is trash, which I think is more of my tendency. Yeah. Um, 
I was struck how weird it is when we were talking about this yesterday, how weird it is that we do this podcast. Yeah. I, um, I thought about that too, even just as I was saying it right now. Yeah, because neither of us have a large social media presence. But then we just post this, which is us just rambling about things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but but I like, yeah. But part of me likes to think that it is a, a more positive use of the internet. I, I, at least I don't force people to listen to this. People right. have to come here by choice. Well, I mean, people come to Twitter by choice. I guess that's true. And if we can get more supercuts of ahs and mmms into the world, we have done a marvelous thing. <laughs> An incredibly remarkable thing. <laughs> we just got it there. Thank you. Good night. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>